Here we go. Oh, yes. Rock out. There you go. <laughs> it, are those maracas in the background? What garage punk band hey, was this? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Keith Pazel. This is my podcast. Uh, it's uh, Caitlin Montclair and Nick Pilot. It's like a. It's one of those. It's like a free track. Sure. From online. Uh, it's, just put it's it a song there, called. Man. It's a song called "Bitch." Uh, garage punk. I was into in high school. You know the big garage punk band. When I was bring home the lobsters. That was the name. Was of Was that the, like your local band? Yeah, that was like a local. And, and there was another band that I knew from my high school buddies. Uh, a general strike. General strike's a pretty good punk rock band name. That sounds good. The ba- the big punk garage band from when I was younger. They were called Snotty Pockets. Yeah, yeah. That that's. And they had a festival every year called Snot Fest. And when they get like local punk local bands, punk bands yeah. to play and stuff. How many bands would play usually? Like five. I remember. Yeah. Maybe I get like a three-hour show. One of my big two and a half claims to like. Prominence. Yo, I was gonna sing a snotty. I was gonna sing with snotty pockets in high school, and then at the last minute they didn't need me. Uh, I was gonna yeah. sing the song Bob by No Effects. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, 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 yeah. How, how would that go? Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> Let's pull it up. This is what's great about the show now is I could just pull this fucker up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not Dos Effects. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, yeah. That. Uh, <laughs> also, the second week of before. Before this month is out, Crocious will know not to talk during the song of the intro. Okay, okay. You, <laughs> you know, well, no, no, but it's like it, it, it gets the people going. They hear it. Yeah, they know what it is. Up. You know, it get, and by the way, people, we are watching Major League. Yeah, we got Major League on. We're about uh, halfway through. Slightly right? edited. It's not 9 p.m. Oh, yeah, it's right. Yeah. The, a lot of stuff. The Jordan Last Dance shit has been. All uncensored. Yeah, I will say Jordan's dropping the f bomb a lot. A lot, dude. You know, I, I tell you what, he's. Uh, I, I, you know something? I've been, I, I've been fixated. I think it's been great. I've oh, genuinely it's, it's enjoyed fantastic. It. I mean, even though, like, I remember a lot of that stuff of living in Chicago at that time, moving there in '92 when the Bulls were like, obviously, I, I moved there when they were playing the Trailblazers. I, I remember watching in game one. In the Hawks were in the finals that year. They as were well, right? absolutely, absolutely. Where I remember, I watched a Hawks. Uh, Stanley Cup game at uh, what, what was the mic on Monday nights in uh, in not, not in uh, Wicker Park but in uh, Bucktown? Uh, that, that was a bar on Monday nights uh, that we went to several times. Not a lot, but sometimes. I remember watching the Pittsburgh uh, Penguin uh, Blackhawk game at that bar. Oh, uh, uh, Lottie's. Yeah, Lottie's. Lottie's. Yes, at Lottie's, and that's. But then I remember also watching. Man, that, that bar's that old, huh? Yes, I remember. Well, I mean, that was, was it. Lottie's, or was it just another bar? No, no, it was called. But I mean, it was. A much, I mean, they put some capital into that right. bar to make it. Did nicer. you see what happened to Gal Cab? Oh my god! I, I, I got admitted. I was like, I didn't even know how to react. I'll be honest, I didn't know how to react. Like that, so for people who don't know, a, there's a bar in Chicago that's very prominent for stand up called Gallery Cabaret. Well, I don't know if it was very prominent. It was. Yeah, it's got a lot of shows. <laughs> like there was. It does. As far it does. as like that it's was a mo- venue. 
it was most of what their shows were. It was weird how because it, it started entry out entry level performers started out as a music bar, like a music art bar. Yeah, and at first they only did two hour comedy hour on Saturday. They were very trepidatious about comedy shows because they were like, "Well, we're kind of just an art punk rock bar." Yeah, and then Power Hour came, and then slowly they just only did stand up shows. God, because they also knew comics will spend their money on cheap beer. Well, and they, they will spend their the, money to like three dollar fucking PBRs, uh, they, nine dollar pitchers. Their sangria was, the, yeah, it was I've like had a, better, but it was a decent sangria. Dude, Scotty made it. Yeah, it, it was Got decent. A weird ponytailed cross-eyed guy named Scotty who would hang around in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Creep a lot of people out. He used to take pictures of the female comedians and show them to bar patrons. Ooh. Which is, That's you know. a little odd. It's odd. Yeah. You'd tell him to stop it, and he would. Yeah, okay, because he would listen at least. Well, yeah. yeah, he had to fucking, he had to be there for the golden tea machine. So you can't, he yeah. couldn't do anything to get himself truly kicked out. <laughs> Yeah, that guy was. I remember. He, yeah, he was sort of. Like, he'd he'd emerge from the basement. What, what do you think the basement at that place was like, man? Well, he lived down there. Whoa, that was Scotty's house. He oh. had two cats down there. Uh, one well, was gotta, one was Isabel, and it was very mean but mice. sweet. It was a sweet cat, but it was mean. And then he had another cat that would stay outside all the time. But yeah, Scotty pretty much lived down there, and it was just where they would fucking house all the liquor and shit. Oh. God. And he owned that golden team machine because oh. he basically lived there. So I mean, he so that yeah, that was his game. He, he originally played. lived upstairs because I think the owner lives upstairs. Man, think about that cat's life, man. You know what I mean? Like what his loving it, dude. I mean, it's eating like, rats in the basement. Well, that's why he got the cats down there because he's going to deal with your vermin. Wow. That's what he says every morning when he comes out of that basement. Now I won't talk to him that. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, but Power Hour, which is the mic that you ran for several years in Gallery yeah, Cabaret, still on Friday goes, nights. still going out there. But it's, seriously, is it going to go? Is it going away like in the next couple months? Then they think, or, um, or is, it, is it well related to? Here's the what they shutdown? updated: is they came, and I guess the owner's just being real shitty with them. Like he doesn't. He basically said he doesn't want the bar there anymore. But Ethan, the bartender, said they have like an ironclad lease. Like they can't, he can't evict them unless if they pay rent there, there's no way like that. He can't break it legally. So, but I was telling her the, that means they're on like well, they're the, gonna sell it, the right? first or the first week they're late on rent. He's going to evict them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's yeah, it is. Can you bring your mic in a little bit? Sure. Sure. But, but, but bring it in. It, it, it is. Uh. That area, I mean, I remember going to Gallery Cabaret like once or twice, like in like the early '90s. Very faint memories of that. I think I made it over there because that would make sense. Uh, but it would total dive, complete dive. Oh yeah. And, and that area now is like, Willie Mays Hayes has just stolen home. That I mean, that area is uh, is amazing. You know, I mean, that area is like there's money there now. They've got you their know? fifth straight win. This is when yep. they, they're like. It's weird how this movie flows because you're right. It is just like slap shot. Oh, of course. I mean, it, they've enhanced certain parts. The Euchre character is a better announcer than the announcer they have in Slapshot. Although the announcer in Slapshot's funny, Euchre is much more of a character in this. He's got six or seven distinct scenes. Yeah, you know. Um, but they start out like a clearly shitty team, and then throughout spring training, you see like, well, they, they got some ball players here. Yeah. But then inevitably they start the season awfully because of like. They haven't gelled as a team yet. Yeah, of course. And then know. now it it's follows the archetypes. Like they're a dog shit team. You you represent how awful they are yeah. by the opening scene of everybody in Cleveland being like they're shitty. Yeah, they're shitty. Yeah. And then you gonna show, have a bad year this year. And then in spring training, you identify the physical 
skills attributes or some ability to yeah, set yeah. up like oh they got good players but then during the season you have to set up the character flaws of yes. like well they don't get along yet and, and what's going to be the unifying force yeah. that brings them and the together. unifying force here is the shitbag woman owner <laughs> wants to move the team to florida exactly. which at the time was a real thing in baseball oh of course they would like you, the, the, the white Sox. That, that, that's what the white Sox did to pimp the state and the city for a complete sweetheart deal on comiskey's part i mean you know how much money reinsdorf makes on that but go ahead Sorry. uh yeah but yeah but we're at that point and then and, now and, we're yeah. at the point where they're like 21 games out of first place or something like that and she said unless you win the world series or unless you go to the world series yeah because that's how hapless the indians were it was even yeah. outrageous to have them win a world series in a movie yeah well exactly i mean so, they, they were more ridiculous than the cubs actually they were i so she says like unless you win a championship yeah or go to the world series i'm selling the team so now they've set up that we have to basically win out to yeah. save the team and to give them an incentive, inspiration and an incentive. They've yep. gotten a cardboard cutout <laughs> of the owner who yep. is a looker. What's her? Yep. Is she a famous actress? No, I know no. she was in a couple things. She's in the been 90s, in a few things, but she was, but she was, she came cheap in this one. Trust yeah. me. You know, this was so, but their this, thing Meryl is, Streep was not going to consider this role, but, but yeah. their thing <laughs> for her is they, they cover it up completely with like leopard print. Yeah. And every game they win, they pull off a piece of it. Yeah. And it'll eventually reveal her. I think she's in a bikini. I don't think she's really well, new. She might get in the buck. It might be topless. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's the incentive. But that's the incentive. And they've won five in a row. So every, they, they, like their, their wins, they take a piece of her dress off. Yeah. So and to I reveal think, her nude body. I think they need to do that with Trump. <laughs> like that's how you His motivate guidance. him. Now, he, he, now here is what you have to do yeah. for the for the virus. You know, you have to stay on point. If you can stay on point, he can't get out of his own way. No, you know, that, and also my problem. favorite thing is you know when he's being serious because he's like reading boringly off a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we. The deaths are very sad. And then when he's riffing, he looks up, and that's when yeah. he starts calling out other races and shit. Yeah, yeah, when he becomes a raving lunatic. When he says the word tremendous over and over again, that's when you know he's <laughs> riffing. Yeah, he's like puffing it up. It's crazy. By the way, did you see Alex Jones? Did you oh, see yeah. that? That Let's was that unbelievable. Out. I was Zooming last night with comedian friends of mine, and, and we put up the Alex Jones tape. It's unbelievable what an absolute maniac he is oh he's out of his mind he's also half playing a character but at this point he believes the character yeah i mean he's yeah the lines have been blurred you know what i mean it's been bl yeah he doesn't know he, he's an actor who's gone a bit too method it's like downey jr's character in tropic thunder from last week from last week's episode but uh yeah we got to hear that the alex jones because yeah, you're right with trump that might actually work with him like real simple incentives because he's a moron you know well yeah yeah, there has to be ways to manipulate him to do right things. Well, like, I feel like you yeah. almost should do right things where you should be like, hey, if you do this, this company will make a shitload of money and you just lie to him. But what's even worse about that, Keith, is the opposite side of that coin is to manipulate him to do awful things. There's also a way of him doing that. And the sycophants who surround him, that's how evil they are. That's my 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 word, evil, is that they plant these oh, I ideas. I thought it was going to be sycophants. And, and, and they, well, sycophants is what they are. They're these hangers on who know it's an awful situation but want to get this personal gain out of it but also want to do horrible things in the process and Stephen Miller is obviously his go-to guy for immigration policy which is beyond draconian you know 
And you know, it's uh, that's a word a lot of people, even the like a lot of the people who are protesting a lot of the COVID restrictions, they're yeah. saying like this is so fucking draconian. Yeah, you know, it, it's my it's, whole thing is we're kind of in a draconian time though. Like there's a disease spreading across the world. Like they're kind of there has to be a there has to, to be it. some draconian measures. You know, like it, it's because you die. I, I mean, and. and okay. You know, no, this you can is, keep going. This is a radio show. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm just like, I, I'm getting I, just the arguments against it. This is no time it. to be speechless. Crocious. The whole thing with, I told you, I watched that thing on, on the Wall Street Journal app in, in Korea where they've done robust testing for two and a half to three months. I talked about it last week. There was this religious cult there where they didn't practice any of the social distancing. They put no masks on. They still had their services, but they're very secretive. At the same time, they proselytize. So they do go out in public, but they're secretive with family members. They don't tell family members that they're actually doing this so they were getting infected and infecting their family members through their robust testing they've been able to determine that half of the cases of covid in south korea originate from this 240,000 person basically cult well the leader of that cult and his main administrative people have been charged with murder they've been charged with Damn. murder so my, my, my point in saying that is if you think this is draconian, the fact is they're doing that because they know they have to come down hard on this to make sure it doesn't spread and to control it. Because if you don't do that, the casualties will be even worse. Well, That's the problem. And I think out here what we've done, what, what I'm kind this of. This country's so big. You lose I'm, two million people. And so I'll, what? And I'll say this cheesily. What I'm proud of fellow Angelinos of, because I go out every other day every three or four to buy weed definitely and from what i can tell is a lot of people aren't staying at home but for the most part 99 percent of people outside are wearing masks absolutely and i feel like a lot of the areas where people are are so outspoken about the draconian measures yeah. and, and the where the areas where people are fighting it the most yeah are where you're seeing the most fucking effectiveness yeah. like just follow like people are treating it like they're I feel like the people that are treating it like a prison lockdown yeah. are the areas that are most affected. Like just follow well, yeah. follow the measures and you can be outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like exactly. No, just know. wear a mask and yeah. you can go outside. I, I literally think part of it is the vanity of that too, of not wanting to cover your and face. And this is and this is where know? the eth the Which ethnic is crazy. a lot of people don't like I don't wanna I even set, made a joke to one of my comic buddies. I was like, Yeah, I went to the weed shop wearing a mask like an old Asian lady today. And yeah. I honestly, a lot of people feel like that. Like, I don't want to look like some old Chinese lady well, wearing exactly. a mask. Exactly. There's, there's a vanity. that That's how stupid it is. That's how stupid people's vanity is. Trump, he had a little reveal. I watched one of his press conferences a couple weeks ago. And, and he was asked about, well, are you going to wear a mask? And he was just like, no. Oh. <laughs> and he had this guy kind of just like, I got to meet world leaders here. Boris Johnson was in the ICU for crying out loud. When you're in the ICU, you got a chance of dying. So this know? is so, relaying something I heard. Yeah on howard stern because letterman was on and he said he at first i thought he was joking but he yeah. wasn't he knows he said he knows someone in the state department he was like and this guy is in charge of very secret things yeah yeah he told letterman, letterman knows someone he told letterman yeah that the reason so trump went into the mayo clinic without wearing a mask and he well, said well, well no pence did or pence, pence did. did yeah so but the reason trump won't wear a mask they can't figure out how to attach it to his hair Jesus it's Christ. it's like a it's a vanity it's a vanity thing. thing yeah yeah well i mean that's what he is 
I mean, that, that, that that's a major component of his, that's his flaw that should be able to be attacked in a certain way. You know, his main thing that bothers him more than anything else is being laughed at. Mm-hmm. Being laughed at is like really puncturing his ego. And, and, and that's why, and they, they said that's why he ran for president because he got he mocked it, in the, pre- well, in the press. Well, that was conference. stupid. And, and, and he didn't realize stuff. that. Even when people like him, the president is the most hated person in the country. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The pre- it, it, look at it this way: the president's approval rating is rarely above fifty yeah. percent, even when they're doing well. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, so he, at he, best, he, he can't figure out numbers. It's very one-dimensional. He's, at he's best, a clown, less than man. half the at best, less than half the country is going to like you. So, like, that's what you're getting into as a president. And yeah. I, th- I think he stupidly thought like, oh, everybody loves the president. No, everybody loved Barack Obama, and even he was an yeah. meh president. You know, yeah, the whole thing with, uh, but he wasn't an active failure. Yeah, he wasn't an, <laughs> a, 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 taking active steps to actually hurt things. Jesus, you, you know, uh, you know. He, he, he killed American citizens on foreign soil. Yeah, children. He murdered. Yeah, he killed yeah. Deported millions of Mexicans. He did yeah. that. There's no doubt about that. You know, but uh, inherent the situation he inherited. Inherit mm-hmm. that situation and see how you deal with it. The country that uh, Trump inherited, uh, the, compared to the country that Obama inherited, uh, was in much better shape. In much better shape. And, and so Obama deserves some of the credit of that. You know, did he do bad things? Of course, he got rid of whatever the, as much as the previous seventeen presidents combined in terms of you know uh, undocumented. You know, it's just like millions of people. Obviously, he did horrible things. You know, the war. You know, he inherited this. He inherited a two-front war in an economy and the that was on the economy, verge yeah. of, of, of a depression. I always forget that because I yeah. There's Mark Morrow, Mark Morrow on a progressive oh, commercial on go. TV. Oh yeah, th- th- these are a big non-union. Big non. I know a lot of comics on this. Josh Cheney. They're big non-union commercials. Yeah. Hey, don't look at like that when I start doing background work after the pandemic. It's all non-union until of I get course. in the union. Yeah, of course it is. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, Obama, why they, that's why they pay cash, baby. I, I, I'm not going to sit there and totally uh, be a defender and apologist for him. And yes, it's disgusting. This is the culture we live in. You know, the Democrats and the Republicans. Trump is is uh, is uh, awful, awful, awful. Here's thing. what I'm not going to so toxic. I'm not going to out him on the podcast, but someone we love dearly, close friend of ours, in a comment said. Oh, I wanted to go smack him. Yeah. He goes, if we tank the Democratic Party now, we will get Yang in 2024. Trump Trump 2020 is the only way to do that. Th- so a lot that's... of Bernie people are saying, like, you have to vote for Trump because you we, we have to destroy the Democratic Party now. So in 2024, we can run a third party person. Uh, who's to say he won't run again in 2024? What sort of weird uh, nihilistic logic is that? That's just completely stupid. I, I cannot stand. I cannot stand the false equivalency that pissed off Bernie bros have comparing saying Biden's the same as Trump. They're both a couple of white old men that are part of corporate America. I realize Joe Biden stinks. I realize that. I am not an idiot. Do you think Bernie Sanders would have a snowball's chance in hell of actually winning? Do you actually think the word socialist is lower than pedophile? It is. Texas will secede from the union. The violence, which is already going to be there, the fury of the right would be unbelievable if he would have been the candidate. Ooh, we have to cause that. No, the country does not need that right now. It needs calm is what it needs because Trump has been such a disaster and has been so toxic 
ever since he came down that escalator in 2015. You know, good has not come out of this. Good has not come out of this. Bad has come out of this. The vast majority of it is bad. Yeah. Giving a voice to white supremacy on some sort of, a, I mean, like, like like it's legitimized or something. It's unbelievable. So we're gonna, but we'll, it's real. So we'll play. We got Alex Jones here. Yes, talking about. Oh, we need a voice of reason. Here. I got to calm down. Got to uh, get off my soapbox. Voice of reason, Alex Jones. So I think he in the. This is a clip of him getting in. He was talking about food shortages, I think, and about how, like, I think getting shutting down the like we're getting because they were talking about meat shortages, how we're close to like because meat, meat shortages. processing plants are, are one of the main areas that are breaking out in rural America. So here's know? here's Alex Jones reacting to the possibility of a food shortage. I'll admit it. I will eat my neighbors. I'm not letting my kids die. I'll, I'm just going to be honest. My superpowers being honest. I've extrapolated this out, and I won't have to for a few years. I got- he reiterates multiple times that his superpower is being honest. Yeah. Wait, it's his weird subconscious. My superpower is being honest. I've extrapolated this out, and I won't have to for a few years since I got food and stuff. But I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up. You know what? I'm ready. My dog. I'm ready. He's great. He's unbelievable. I'll eat my neighbors. See. <laughs> My superpower is being honest. I'll eat your ass. That's twice. I will. I'm combat model, optimum self-sufficiency, probably the leader. The point is, is have you thought about that yet? Because I'm somebody that thought I could fix this, and I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbors. You think I like sizing up my neighbor? (laughs) I'm going to haul him up by a chain and chop his ass up? Dude, I'll do it. Listen, literally, literally. I mean, he's he's a wrestling promoter. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's what he is. He's getting detailed, too. Ride him up by a chain. I'm sorry. Make a small incision. Did I upset your girlfriend, man? No. She's checking on her laundry, probably. good. Okay, good. I don't want want, because I like her. I like her girlfriend. She's a sweetheart. No. Because I was going off on my soapbox, and I I try not to get vitriolic, Keith. No, we had a couple lively debates before you got here. You want to? So here's what we got into. Yeah. And I don't know if you... Let's go. So Let's go here's him, what I said. We were, I don't know how, oh, because I, I, we were just watching a Daily Show clip and I was just like, Trevor Noah sucks. Uh, who, who sucks? Uh, Trevor Noah. Oh, oh From the oh, Daily Show. I oh, was just oh. like, ah, oh, he stinks. And then it got I into. He's pretty funny. He's funny. I, enough. I, I he's said, not steward, and this is good. just a personal thing, and I know this sounds very closed off or right leaning. I don't like when non Americans host American talk shows. <laughs> And I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about like British people. Like Condren. You know, with, with, with that, with that, not Condren, Chris Condren. Corden. Whatever yeah. this guy's name is. Yeah. He's it's uh, just. Because he's it British. Makes, it just, when I turn it on, I feel like I'm watching a, like they're showing a British talk show. <laughs> like I just don't. Your sensibilities don't work just, with it. Yeah. It's like, it's a show about American shit. Yeah. Like why would I, why would your humor be any more relatable? Do you know America is so dominant across the planet that I See, think every, every other country... Because that's, that's what she said. She goes, they do it in other countries. I go, no, they don't. I go, if you go to England, British people host their late night shows. Oh, oh yeah. No, no, I, I and believe if you that. Go to, and if you go to Holland, 
Dutch people host the late night shows. Let me make my point. Yeah. You're absolutely right. My point is, though, American culture is so ubiquitous and so big in other countries, particularly Western Europe, but other countries across the globe, that literally the average John Q. public guy has an opinion about America that's somewhat informed mm -hmm. because it's so relevant. This country is so inward looking, you know, that it doesn't even think about that there's actually a world out there. It's like, no, we're number one. All of our needs need to get met, and that's never going to be challenged. You know, and if you do challenge it, you're on American or something. So, but so I literally think people in different countries they have informed opinions about the country. You know, mm -hmm. and I think part of the reason why they do it too is, oh, we're going to have a foreign voice. Maybe he can reveal things to Americans well, that they don't really see of themselves. And this is where, and, but I can see what it affects. And this people. is where it may, I can't. I'm, this, I'm this not doing myself process. any favors, but even like with the Trevor Noah thing. Great, you want a person of color? Cool. Larry yeah. Wilmore has been in comedy for 40 years. Yeah, yeah, and I hear what you're saying. But yeah, they like, want, you know, it's a South African. They like, just, they need the accent. We need an international flavor to the show. Well, what's interesting is. And it's, in, yeah. it's, it's disingenuous. You're not doing it for the betterment of the show. You're doing it because you need insert accent in the host chair. And 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 the reason for that, I want because they don't want it to seem like I'm weird. To like, they want it to seem like, oh, this isn't that same dumb American shit. No, no, I hear what you're saying, but I think what it really is is they're saying we're making a choice. We have our American audience. This is the max we're going to get. Let's go overseas and try to get an audience over there too. Yeah, they want you know? they want South Africa watching. Yeah, the Daily and, show. and want some people in England that might, well, you know, and in Western Europe, you know, they know they'll get some of that, you know, with. It's interesting. South Africa has an interesting relationship with Western Europe. When I went to, to Europe my very first time back in 02, I was in, the, in uh, Amsterdam. And I was in my hotel, and I loved just watching the news. Because they had a lot of English-speaking news there. They speak very good English there, very formal English, better than England English. You're in, a, you, you, you're in England. It's idioms and slangs. You don't have a fucking oh, clue yeah. what they're saying. Mate, I can't understand a person from Even Northern England. Even if you England. watch a soccer fan complain about, you're coming off it, blood. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> you go out there on the pitch, you're running around like a bunch of goats out there, yeah, mate. <laughs> I know, you're sure. What you doing, fam? <laughs> so, so <laughs> I was, and they speak very good English, so I was watching it. And there was the World Economic Summit in South Africa. And they were doing a lot of advertising for it in, in Western Europe. And basically Western Europe, it was basically South Africa saying, okay, Western European capital, we're going to open our doors up. We want billions of euros to come into our country. You know, you can invest because there's enough English speaking people there. You know, yeah. uh, it's one of the few kind of stable economies in Africa, although it's fucked up. It's got a bad economy right now. What, what country? Uh, South Africa. South, South Africa? Yeah, South Africa. Is that a country? Or oh yeah, South Africa is a country. Absolutely. It, it used to be, uh, it was fought over, the Boer War was between the British and the Dutch. Like a, like the term, oh, you're a Boer, I think came from that because they were just, they I looked down I always just thought it was them. a region. No, no, South Africa is actually a country. And then within it is a different country. And I can't think of the name right now. I Soweto. should know that. Well, no, Soweto so, is the city. city. It's a city. That's where yeah. apartheid was. And that's what well, it's, it's, it's Trevor. And that's what another thing about Noah, too. Noah's got a great story. Like, no, Trevor Noah's mom worked in Soweto. Yeah. Where it was essentially illegal to be her. Yeah. So she traveled there every day. Oh, yeah. And, like, course. risked it, which is dope, dude. That's you know? dope. Well, yeah. And, and, I mean, whatever. They had apartheid until the early 90s. Yeah. You know? I mean, and I'm not even saying Noah doesn't deserve to be on the show. I'm just saying. Yeah. He kind of leapt over comics that probably deserved it more than him.
you know, and maybe, like, yeah, and in entertainment especially, That's entertainment, and man. in entertainment especially, I think it's it's who's who's been here longest and who's the funniest. Like, I just think yeah. I just think Larry Wilmore not getting that job is an absolute fucking travesty. Yeah, he's good too, but you know something. Uh, let's be honest. His face versus Trevor Noah is a handsome young man. Handsome man, you know? and Larry Wilmore is edgy. You know? Larry Wilmore yeah. goes hard on cops killing black people because yeah. he even yeah. had that. Not not. I think it wasn't Chocolate News. I think it was the Larry Wilmore show. <laughs> oh yeah, he did for a little while. Exactly. David Allen Greer did Chocolate News. <laughs> yeah, I said Chocolate News. Jesus, the, the of course it was David Allen Greer. Chocolate News. Yeah. You know, like it's going to be subtle. You know, it's hilarious. But no, we were talking about uh, before that with South Africa, you know, and just it has this relationship with Western Europe. They want to get capital there. So people speak Afrikaner, which is it's a Dutch. So there's a lot of Dutch folks there. And, and the England, English and the Dutch fought over it. I believe at the turn of the century, the 1900s, late 1800s. I could be wrong. But, uh, you know, because it, it, it's a trade route because it's at the, it's at the, now, was that the tip of back, Africa. Now, was that pan back shot right there? There are some shots where I think they did use Cleveland Stadium. Yeah, the bigger like aerial shots mm-hmm. and they're flying over it is absolutely Cleveland Stadium. But this is all McCown well, Stadium. Yeah. Well, because Cleveland had an upper deck in the outfield, right? Or was there not? Uh, the old stadium did, yes. Yeah, yeah it was gigantic. It was saw, a football stadium. Yeah, well, it was made for the 32 Olympics. Didn't it, so, Wasn't it crazy that like... I'm glad we're getting off on that now. Off the South even, African talk. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, yeah no, no. It's good, uh, I, I loved when baseball stadiums were in football fields because you had those moments where, like, at, there was a brief period pre-Jacobs pre Field when the Cleveland... Because that's what's great about this movie, too, is this movie actually got the Indians good. Yeah. Because it put them in the zeitgeist. So I think their <laughs> owner was like, oh, we're culturally relevant. We actually have to fucking throw some shit They got good it. in the 90s, man. They had, they had some very good drafts in the late, set, late 80s. Yeah. Very good drafts. But you, you know? had moments where, because of the layout of the stadium... There were like fifty thousand people at Indians games. Oh, oh, oh! This, the stadium sat eighty thousand people. Yeah, it sat eighty thousand. They, they didn't. That was pre, I think, subject to blackout hardcore. So they weren't tar- tarping off seats. They were selling oh, them. Well, I mean, yeah, with football it was a different thing. Football, they sold that stadium on every. But like it's a they, football they sta- sold sixty stadium. G's for baseball. Oh, 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 when they were good, like they got good, like in ninety two. Yeah, ninety two. Yeah, well, yeah. Carlos Bayarga was a good player for them, obviously. Yeah. Corey Snyder might David have been on the Justice. team. They got uh, Joe Carter and Mel Hall. They, but Mel Hall, I think, was gone. By the Justice day. was on the Braves at that And point. Carter probably was with the uh, was with the uh, Blue Jays. And but Albert they, Bell. They, Albert Bell. Albert and Tommy Bell was, was a young young boy. Uh, Alomar was very good too. Charles both Nagy, the, Sandy, and also Roberto. Didn't and then they Roberto? Didn't, no, no, they never. And then they had Oral Hershiser. They had a pretty good pitching staff. Okay, Nagy. You said before Nagy yeah. was in the sick pitching staff, but they had, their hitting was amazing. And I remember I went to a game in 1990 when the A's were the you know champions. Went to a scheduled doubleheader, scheduled doubleheader in, in old. Uh, I think I think it was Municipal Stadium was where the the the, the Browns and Indians played. Mm-hmm. There were 48,000 people. A's were a draw. They were they had Conseco, they had McGuire, that Ricky. They were a draw. They were the draw. 48,000 people. The stadium felt empty. It felt empty with 48,000 people because there were 80,000 seats. By the way, I'm sorry if I offended you. Did you go down and get your laundry? I didn't yeah. mean. Okay, good. I thought maybe I, with my Obama comment, because you're right. Obama did terrible things too. <laughs> no, you're right though. You know, but but I, and I was going off about Bernie. 
because I don't know if you're a Bernie backer because I actually like Bernie, but I just no, think she Bernie hates was Bernie. Not, Bernie was not the right guy. Bernie was not the right guy. His message is right. His message is absolutely right. It it's like ninety percent accurate, but he's not. It, it's his personality too, and you know it's a shame because you know he gave some voice to some people. I hope that this can be refined through time. Look at that old Winston cigarette logo absolutely. in the back. And, and, and that was a cutting edge like scoreboard. I remember when they got that. In County Stadium. Absolutely. The, the, the two-fisted slopper, which they still have to this day, this animation at the end of the first inning. Do you have someone sitting in your section? Because tailgating is so huge here. When I think of tailgating, I think of County Stadium. Getting there two and a half hours ahead of time. Throwing a baseball around frisbee, grilling yeah. out, making brats, and getting a half barrel Calling of beer. Calling your son a pussy, you know, and just getting bombed before you went in. So in between the first, it's and second, not going to hurt you. That was back in the times where you just threw baseballs at your children. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how you taught them to play. You know, absolutely. You know, I mean, it was so. Yeah, I remember in between the first and second, and they still have this in Miller Park. Have you seen this? The two-fisted slopper, and it's this guy with a beer gut with little uh, air bubbles popping above his head, and he's he's got two beers. He's the two-fisted slopper. If he's being too loud, please report him immediately because they're trying to crack down a little bit on that. I mean, Bernie Brewer used to slide into you know when they hit a home run, he used to slide into a mug, a stein yeah. of beer, and and balloons would come up. I bet, now he slides I bet, into home. I bet I your parents lame. saw all that drinking going on, and we're like, that's the way it is with kids today. <laughs> well, my father used to participate. My mom would never go to that. She yeah, would. I remember my mom, my stepfather, and I, my brother went to a hockey game I've talked about before on the show in 1980. It was a Flyers Capitals game, sold out Saturday night. A lot of bad blood between the teams. Bunch of Flyers fans came down from Philly. Not that bad of a drive. Where I, I mean, and 27 seconds into the game, bench clearing brawl. Goalies got into it 27 seconds into the game. It was like slap shot. It was like they were fighting before the national anthem, like in their That's warm-up great. skate. I mean, it was a, there were three bench-clearing brawls. There was one a period. I would love it to edit. It lasted like three hours. I would love to edit a montage of that game with you and your dad with this song over it. This is how we do it. It's Friday night. <laughs> There we go, man. This is a cut. This is remember that song? Yep. Fuck yeah, I remember. You go to the club on that one. But um, yeah, it, it was. Uh, this is how we do it. Yep. This is how we do it. cut, man. That's you and your dad leaving the house, dude. Well, yeah, my, I. Uh, but my mom, I remember, was just mortified by by the spectacle. Like she literally was like, it was really jarring to her sensibilities. This is my mom when she was the president of her now right. chapter. Oh, that's you know? I read up on Phyllis Schlafly, guys. Good. Well, I was, first of all, yeah. she could have got it back then. Although Kate Blanchett's hotter than she than the real Phyllis Schlafly. The yeah. real Phyllis Schlafly had a little bit of, like, wear on her. Yeah, yeah. But she just died, like, four years ago. I totally... <laughs> she was, like, 96, you know? The article I was reading was, like, coming at it. It was basically about, like, what the show gets right and wrong. Yeah. And the the lady who wrote so, this those article, those know we're talking about Mrs. America, right. which is on Hulu. The FX, lady who wrote I've been this into article made the point of saying like, yeah, everything she said she was wrong about, but her the way she got people on board because her whole army were these stay at home moms, of course, who like 
who genuinely thought that if women were equal to men, that they would be forced out into the workforce. Yeah. And that like, yeah. she sold it as like, yeah. they're gonna take away, like women are the most important people in the world. And if we're equal to men, that'll be that'll be gone. Yeah. Like the whole women, get women and children off the Titanic first, that'll be gone. Yeah, if the equal, yeah, yeah. And the draft was a big and thing And the too. lady who wrote this article yep. was like, that's a fucked up thing to say, but she really touched a core with women. She. Phyllis Schlafly was genuinely afraid to go out into the workforce. And she thought yeah. that like, so she really touched a core with women who like yeah. weren't awful people, yeah. but genuinely thought that like, I can't compete with men. Yeah. That, like, yeah. and like that, yeah. that's We're afraid. And that yeah. really took off in the country. And yeah. like, even reading it, you're just like, those are the kind of points where you're like, you can't, you almost like it's an emotion. You can't argue it. It's like you, you can argue, but it's not like it's just that's how they feel, man. Like exactly. It, I mean, a, a man or woman, it's an emotional thing. You can't debate with a Trump supporter who's to the core. They 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 drink the Kool Aid and they're not going to listen to it or talk about it. They think it's all fake news and the liberal media taking them down. And they've made their decision. They've made their choice. It's an emotional decision, and that's it. So there's really no discussion. And they were talking about how like how quick it all came about how like it was yes. so close to passing and that basically she was a failed s voice in the right. So oh, like, yeah, yeah, so when yeah. she started talking about the ERA, people were just like, Oh, this fucking crazy bitch. Well, again. Initially. Yeah, exactly. Well, th th that's, that's the classic mistake that liberal people do. They dismiss it. Oh, Trump's running. No, you dismiss it. And, and then you realize it's actually a problem. It is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And, and she, the way she's portrayed, I think she's portrayed like, as a pretty bright driven woman in the you know in the Miss America show you know yeah. and Blanche and Blanche they say, plays it you know what i mean and they in the show they portray her husband as being like against whatever she's doing and i guess in real life her husband was very supportive of her political aspirations oh yeah i think the family dynamic there i can tell that's where they've taken artistic liberties mm -hmm. with it but i think in terms of the the figures and the debates and whatever this is just my and, experience uh the one female character who's on her side it's like just some random housewife well, yeah it's sarah paulson she's a fictional character yeah that she's been she, made up she yeah. represents a an bunch amalgamation of people yeah. yeah yeah which i think her character is very interesting you know it's a very like a very christian practicing christian woman you know and like again i think that the fact that you know blanchett's doing phyllis schlafly and paulson's doing her friend kind of her sergeant at arms or right right hand woman it's just i don't know, i think it's an interesting choice to go down that path you know that, that hey there's a voice out there they were on good morning that cbs show couple weeks ago and they were just saying hey not all women think alike was you know one of the main reasons why they're doing this mm -hmm. also I, I just think it's I, I like the timing of it because of it's a second wave of, of feminism analysis you know and it's, it's a dramatization it's got you know whatever it's got uh, you know a, a soap opera sort of elements to it but it's uh, I think it's relevant and germane to kind of what's going on and kind of what the struggle was then what was different about it then versus now you know and, and kind of what it is now I, I, I've been into it because my mom was the president of her now chapter for three years. So my early formative memories from 10 to 12, we lived in Northern Virginia, close to DC protests. We went to relatively frequently. I remember one protest in particular was the, uh, in 1981, it was uh, cause it, the ERA. It was not going to pass. People kind of think kind of knew it. Reagan's election was huge, and, and it was when the air traffic controllers were fired by by Reagan, and it was basically a shot over the bow to labor. Oh, I remember and that. So, so it was called it was called Solidarity Day. There were 250,000 people went to a protest when, in DC. But was that uh, when they made air traffic control just a job that you could apply for? 
Yeah, I think it used to be unionized. So and, check and, this and out. That fucked over one of my friends that I went to high school with. So there's this kid, Mike. Yeah. We used to call him Ron Stoppable. It was a character on a Disney show. Yeah. He was this hyper fucking kid. Yeah. And he went to school. He had ADHD. Yeah, of course. And he would literally, I'd go, he would torture his mom. He would just like, I remember one night he took apart all his, he was just so hyper. And just like, was just a handful, dude. Like not a, yeah. not a troublemaker, but yeah. like just impossible yeah. to control yeah Ugh, and like an, oh, and it, and it cost him friendships like. like i remember people were like why do you hang out with him yeah like he's so annoying he's yeah. so high and i would just be yeah. like yeah but like we smoke and we listen to like yeah. we, we love pink floyd like he yeah. showed me the wall for the first time <laughs> like if you were I remember able seeing the wall for the first and time and here's that was the a thing moment. about attention deficit fuckers and this is what i was good for with him i was able to like shake it out and be like dude you need to calm the fuck down. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people were afraid to kind of be yeah, mean to him yeah. and just be like, dude, settle. Like, I remember there'd be times where I'd be at his house, two towns over, where I'd be like, dude, if you don't shut the fuck up, I'm leaving, dude. Yeah. Like, you yeah. need to calm the fuck down. He must have had a real problem, man. He was on meds and shit. He still is. Like, if you hang out with him now, it, you, you, he needs a wrangler. Like, wow. Oh, he needs a hard Trump supporter. Yeah. Oh, yeah hard course. Trumper, dude. Of course. You know. And a big gun guy. Oof, uh, what a bad combination. What a, but, And there's so many people like that. So he went to school oh, to be an air traffic controller. Oh, yeah. But here's what. And everybody was just like, Ron, stoppable. And like, I wouldn't trust that. I go, dude, he's jacked all the time. I go, I can't think of anyone better yeah. to be staring at dots all day. Yeah. Than someone who can't fucking turn it off. Yeah. That's who yeah. you want up there. You want someone jacking their hyper jaw. Hyper alert. Yeah. Hyper alert at all times. Like that's a perfect job for him. Yeah. So he was at in in Alaska for that and he killed it. Like he was just on his way wow. for it becoming getting trained. Getting for it. trained for it. And that's, that, that's where you would go. Alaska's got a lot of private pilots. And, and then like he that. said yeah. that the jobs completely went away because you can literally just apply for it. Like, yeah. you don't have to go to school to be an air traffic controller. They yep. completely de-unionized it. Yep. Like, you can literally just go walk up to an airport and apply for it. It used to be a protected job. So he literally, yeah. and it it got unprotected the year he graduated college. Oh, yeah. So he said, like, I spent all that time in college and I literally, like, the definition of a useless degree. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's just no jobs. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, so I remember going to a protest on that. So watching this Mrs. America, it's just been kind of interesting because my early memories of it and my mom and kind of, the, 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 and I've gone back and I've started to read this book from uh, grad school. It's actually a law book. I, I didn't realize it. Not an easy book to read called Why We Lost the ERA. And it just goes through kind of like, you know, in 72 when it was passed by both the Senate and the House in flying colors. And, and like Hawaii passed it 30 minutes after the Senate and the House passed it. It, now, was, here's, a, it was kind of a foregone conclusion. All these states I passed it. get about it. Is yeah. it still in the process of being ratified? Yeah, uh, it, it is. Because they, because in the Wikipedia article, it says that Virginia passed it like a year ago. And Illinois just did too. Like so. Fight in the Supreme Court over this. Yeah. Whether recent ratifications matter or whether they don't, because the law itself had stipulations that it had to be passed in a certain amount of time. Exactly, and they didn't make and that time frame. Getting a whole lot of flack about it because she's like, the law is the law. Yeah, because it got because defeated. Who, who's getting flagged for it? Who's in? And, and what she's saying? I'm curious what her she, argument is. Her argument is that it would be unconstitutional to pass it. To pass it. 
Which yeah. it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not what the law said. Yeah. 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 Because there was a time, it's interesting reading this. Because I, I was always kind of like, well, why didn't it pass? And, you know, and I've gone back and reading this book. In 72, it passed 84 to 8 in the Senate and like 320 to 4. I mean, it was like, it went out and like then the states, 38 of them, 75% or above, have to approve it and ratify it. A bunch of states did it immediately. It, they got like 30 states well, in the and first then, year and Schlafly got five to retract their votes. Well, that, that well, they haven't gotten into that yet. You, you've spoiled that for me. Because they like, they're at the point now. It's, <laughs> it's 1974. They had a 10-year period from 72 that they get it done by, by actually 79. And then they got extended three more years. They had to do it in 10 years. They had to get 38 states. They got 35 total. Illinois was one of the states that didn't pass it, which was one of the few northern states. that Indiana passed it. That redneck state passed it, you know? Uh, that was before the rednecks had totally taken over. But, but Illinois obviously didn't pass because Schlafly was there and she was organized, you know. So uh, it, it was just interesting reading about it, uh, this book. I'm, I'm only about a third of the way through it right now. But with the argument they're making, and it makes sense to me as to why it didn't pass. And this is a woman who was actually very supportive of it. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't like, it's because of this right-wing conspiracy. She was just like, in 72 when it passed, everyone, a lot of Republicans supported it. I mean, there, there were tons of Republicans who supported it. Uh Congress began passing a lot of laws about gender equality where it kind of lost its momentum. You know, after like three or four years when there was the initial raise, but then, then it was like, well, all these different laws have been passed and other sort of cases have been decided that have actually allowed better pay. Although the pay, I mean, then it was 59 cents for every dollar. I remember there, I had a little button that said 59 for 59 cents because that's how much money a woman made for every dollar a man made for equal positions. Now it's 78 cents. Yeah, look, we gave them a little. You know, it's like, yeah, I know. How horrible. And, you know, the one thing is that the Equal Rights Amendment wasn't going to do immediate things. It was portrayed that it was going to do all these immediate, instantaneous things, but it was going to change the framework of the Constitution. I still So think- as more cases came in, uh, you know, with gender discrimination, it was going to give a framework and give a message to the Supreme Court. You know, you were allowed to deal with more of these kind of equality issues and yeah. measures. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So And, and then I'll and, say, and that gonna, was the fear. What I'll was say one happen? thing about the wage gap thing, and then we can probably take a break and yeah. then smoke, and then we'll get back back at it uh but uh i think they need to explain the wage gap better to people and it'll be easier to not to for shitheads to not deny because when you when dumb people hear that 70 cents to every dollar they think that like like at tender greens the women didn't make 30 cents less than me yeah like that's and that's what people think when yeah. when they say there's no wage gap, that's what they're arguing. It's just like if I work if I work at McDonald's, we're all making minimum wage. It doesn't matter what our fucking genders are. <laughs> like in that sense, there's yeah. no wage gap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But exactly. the real wage gap is like Upper CEOs and, and shit. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, exactly. where where there's no base salary. It's just like yeah. what what they want to fucking give you. Yeah. Yeah. And in that sense, there is kind of what you earn. But too. like when you know, when, when people come out and just had. say that, like, we make 70 cents to your dollar. It's just like, well, you might not like yeah, yeah. In what I could be a shithead who yeah. fucking flips burgers at Arby's like. Yeah. Yep. So I just think they need to be more clear when they're just like women make this amount. We're just like, well, in what context? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I've been that was definitely pushed hard when I was younger. The wage gap thing was definitely a big argument. They talk about that in the book that the at the end, like in 79, 80, 81, that was the big push that the ERA made the forces that wanted to get it passed. They wanted to go wage gap. But again, it, it just didn't the, 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 a lot of the momentum was was dissipating because there was a perception that Congress was actually changing a lot of laws, you know, in favor of more sort of kind of gender equity and stuff. So that was one of the reasons why, even though maybe it wasn't necessarily the truth, there was the perception that was happening. Plus, it was also in the context of all these kind of, quote-unquote, great progressive decisions. Where, you know, It was in the coattails of all of that, and the country just got more conservative, man. It just did. So it got caught when the country was really having the pendulum go more conservative. I mean, like the whole Brown versus the Board of Education, taking school prayer out. There was an, uh, another big one. The civil rights stuff, all that. It was just like, it was like, we can't have another decision like this. We've been taking it on the chin you know, and so this to, for this to been pass, taking it on our perfect chin. You know, on whatever the conservative I think movement was, and plus the whole board. They talk about that like in Mrs. America in '73 when Roe v. Wade happened. I mean, Schlafly and her husband were apoplectic. Look, They're we, winning. They're winning was their attitude. We've they, been taking it on John Travolta's beautiful dimpled chin <laughs> for too long. We've got to get the white people. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I'm going off on that. Miss yeah. America, I, I think it's been pretty entertaining. This last episode was pretty good. It was a debate between Phyllis Schlafly and her husband, and then this couple, the, one of the women was a, an editor for for Ms. Magazine. She and her husband are talking about how equal they are, but she's going through big sexual identity crisis, which a lot of women at that time, it was definitely like, you know, that was a big thing in the feminist movement, you know, like the lesbian. Oh, dude, we just thing watched a documentary about two old ladies from the all American baseball league that oh. were munched that were fucking like secretly humping each other. Of course. And then finally, like in the nineties and two thousands were able to like come out, come together. And then yeah. the stories about them moving into this old folks home and shit. It's very sweet and wonderful. Uh, of course. And of course, I mean, of course, lesbians love it. You know, I, I mean, and oh. I, I'm sure it's and their names are Pat and Terry. <laughs> <laughs> they have two gender nations gender neutral oh names. and just the most lesbian gym teacher names of all time <laughs> but it, it's because it's the fantasy of what you're gonna die together you know i mean that that's you know that, that's a big thing that people have yeah I guess. anyway I'll, we're I'll gonna take a along. break but i want to go and miss america again but yeah, yeah yeah we'll take a break okay? we'll take a break we'll be back whenever the fuck. actually that that movie looked pretty good it, it caught my attention This is how we do it. This is how we do it. All right, we're back. Welcome back to the podcast. Coming back with a hit from the nineties. <laughs> that song is so hilarious. The, the lead into that is hilarious. It's like they're going they're going to a house party, right? Isn't that what it is? God. Hell yeah, they're at a house party. Fuck yeah. House parties were fun. How many house parties do you think you've been to? What's you know, that? How many house parties do you think you've been to? I've been to six. S- oh, come on, man. Well, I mean, the McLean parties in Chicago, the McLean Street Mikey Manker parties were bangers. Yeah. I don't know, probably a hundred. Yeah, I've been to a bunch. I, I had one. Blowing that Have you shit ever up. thrown a party like a banger? Oh, I had, yeah, I had a couple. Like when I lived in Wicker Park, I, mean, I had one. No, like one. as a kid, like a high school party. Oh, like- no. In fact, it's funny you mention that. Because, you know, my mom used to leave for two, three, four month stints when I lived in Eau Claire, nice. Wisconsin. And then occasionally. Fight the power and shit. She, uh, she, and my, uh, she and my stepfather would just take week long vacations and I'd Ooh, be alone. Going to I'd be smash. alone as a 15 year old. 
And I remember a few times like people coming over to my place and, and the word got out, Croesus's parents are gone. And I, I was literally like, you can't come in here. You can't come. I was literally like freaking out. Like I did not want them to come in because I knew it would fuck things up and it would not be a good thing. You know, you well, like once you knew your parents were you're going out of town, you're like, oh, they're going far. And that's when you're like, oh, I had it down. I wish I, well, <laughs> you missed Hold the on. timing. of. <laughs> that's when they were in Portland when I was in L.A. <laughs> but no, I uh, I never had a, I was I was a square kid. I was pretty square. Until like late high school is when I finally got a little more hip. I'd say second. Got a little hip, cut yourself a rat tail. You know, I got my my second half of my uh, junior, my second semester of junior year in high school is before I actually started to get a little bit cool. My senior year, I don't know, I sort of matured a little bit, you know, got a little better grades. Started to party a little bit, changed friends, changed friends. Did now it change friends in like you developed a larger friend base or did you kick some to the curb like you had you were friends with dorks and you were just like i'm done with no, you fuckers yeah, there were like three or four guys i hung out with that were just too <clears throat> square for me man they were too square for me were they upset were uh, they like yeah they were ferocious? confused i think they were confused and, and then I, I started hanging out with this buddy and of you're my like kid. but then they committed suicide and i was just like okay no no man uh but there was this uh, one guy I became friends I with, and, we, and we were a comedy duo hate this movie Dirty Dancing oh, is on. Oh, it's so bad. It's, it's so bad. Do you it, like it Dirty is, Dancing, baby? It, it was huge. By the way, she's tiny. They dry hump. She literally weighs like 95 pounds. Yeah, I did not see this. This was I not just for don't, me. I don't buy him in this role. You can't go Roadhouse and then Dirty Dancing. No, he did Dirty Dancing before Roadhouse. Okay. Dirty Dancing well, was 87. Well, vice versa. Why were people... You can't... That's probably... This, this broke him out where he got into roles then, man. Yeah, he sang a song for this. Listen, my butt... She's like the wind... As my buddy Sean Cole says, he was raised on Swayze. Okay, that, that that's how big Patrick Swayze raised was. Raised on Swayze. He was in those early, like you know, uh, Red Dawn movies. Is that the, the sister outsiders? from Ferris Bueller? Yes, oh, she got you, a nose you, job you, and it ruined her career. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's uh, Jennifer Gray. You know what it is? That's Joel Gray's daughter. You know who Joel Gray is. Joel Gray was in a cabaret. He was the weird, like, headmaster of the cabaret, this creepy character who would wear makeup and stuff. It was, like, in Berlin before the Nazis took over. And, and Liza Minnelli's in it. It's actually, it is a musical, but it's, pr- I actually kind of like it. Was Liza in the movie cabaret, or did she do the Broadway? No, no, she, no, she was in the movie. Like, that's her high watermark. It's Liza Minnelli's high watermark. That's when she truly like she took the baton from Dang. her mother being the being the the fag hag. You know, she was cutting icon. up the perfect amount of Percocet to snort oh, at that point. Think of a, f- I, I guess when Scorsese would go was going through huge cocaine phases and he was in dark places like in the seventies. He and Liza Minnelli were a couple, and he would he, Liza became his go to. <laughs> His go-to rag yeah, that he'd hook up with, you know, was Liza Liza Minnelli because you know he was. Hey, just we know. we gotta uh, just say it to Liza. I just want to thank each and every one of y'all for all you've done to your bodies. She put she could put that body through a lot. What was that from again? That quote was a couple weeks ago. Some fat it? guy talking in the gym to pro wrestlers. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And he just wanted to let him know that it's still real to me. Damn it. <laughs> I mean, couldn't handle it, dude. Man, the the bread and circuses have taken Has anything over. ever made you that emotional in life? Well, yeah, I mean, of course, my mother dying, of course. Well, and, and like, like, but that, I'm saying yeah. like stupid yeah. shit. Well, you could probably oh, put oh. Viking stuff. That's that's probably the emotion of Peyton rushing for 275. Yeah, that, it was, it was this same upset. this same sadness. It's still real to me, damn it. That's yeah, how you I mean, feel yeah. when the Vikings lose. 
I had a. Uh, it's funny when they've lost big games recently in my recent history, the past 20, 25, 30 years. There's been some heartbreakers. Uh, also, I, by the way, just a heads up: we might get might get pulled off YouTube because of that Montel Jordan song. But we're punk rock in this um, bitch. We'll see. We'll see. So I'm still I, uh, looking into fair use. We might have to start talking about the music because I've read fair use laws, and if you review songs, you can play them. So we might just have to quip real quick about like, hey, this song, Jock Jams, buy it on CD. I, I don't think anyone's going to find out. No. But well, I was talking about, you know. YouTube's quick. It's got an algorithm. We're going to my crying stories. Yeah. You got me I'm off that. I'm still on you know? it. Yeah. I'm so, still leading you there. You know, <laughs> I was just going to make a point about the emotion I felt after the 98 championship game oh. and the 09 championship game. I was not totally like, you know, heartbroken, but it stuck with me for about a day. Yeah, day. well, and I would imagine had you been younger, you probably would have been fucked. Like, what was yeah. your, like, the 87, 87. That was like, that, that, that was a tough, I mean, you know, I was 18. I was upset. It's the feeling is similar more to that than I like crying. So, do you think you were almost lucky that they weren't, like, they weren't even good enough to break your heart as a kid? Well, oh no, they broke my heart in 87 because 87 was a year that you they could have won the Super Bowl. I was but, 18 years old. But like, 9, 10, what was like, was there ever games where you're like a child? Were like, Oh, I cried during the 80 game, the Cleveland Browns. It was a game of Mod Rashad caught a Hail Mary pass. Was that when it. Sipe was the fucking quarterback? Yeah, Sipe was the quarterback. He was the MVP of the league in 1980. Brian, Brian Sipe. Sipe. He was the MVP of the league. No shit. The 1980 Cleveland Browns were an excellent football team. But in fact, they actually were better than the Raiders, I think. The, the Raiders beat them in Cleveland 14 to 12 that year. But Brian Sipe, Reggie Rucker, I think, was on that team. Ozzie Newsom was their tight end, who was great. They the also GM had, of the Ravens. They had Lyle Alzado on defense. They had a very good team, that play, but they had a shitty kicking game. So th they missed two field goals and I think two extra points. That's why they had 12 points in that game against the Raiders. They lost 14 to 12, and they were in field goal range at the very end of the game. But because the guy had missed four, kicks it was super cold that day it was like a 29 yard field goal and they went for a touchdown and siped through an interception in the end zone and the raiders won and then won the super bowl damn but but, but yeah the vikings were playing them and the vikings had to win the game to get into the playoffs they had to win the game it was, it was the 15th game of the season they had to win the game they would won the nfc central otherwise the the, the, the lions would have gone the so, old uh, black and so, blue division so it was uh uh the 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 Vikings and I never got to watch them on the East Coast. I never got to watch them on the East Coast because the Redskins were so dominant. It was a Saturday game, so I got to watch them, which was a special thing. You didn't get there was no internet, whatever. <laughs> you, you got to see your team play like two or three times a year, twice on Monday Night Football, and maybe a game late in the season. So when you watched your team, it meant something. Okay, I'm yeah. setting the oh, stage. Oh, hundred percent. It meant something. So I'm watching that. And, and it was uh, keep and going. Got, I'm going to try and pull up NFL down, films music while you tell this story. They got down twenty one nothing. They were down twenty one nothing, dude. They were getting smoked. I think it was, maybe it was twenty to twenty nothing. They were getting smoked, you know. Uh, and and uh, in, in the first half, and I was weeping. <laughs> I was weeping. I was just like I was so upset. As an eleven-year-old, <laughs> oh, that sucks. As eleven years old, can, can you see that? I mean, I mean, you did. Oh, that. dude, I yeah. totally imagine you yeah. just like flailing your arms up and down and be like, Why? "Do you remember Willie Brown?" The, no, the I don't. I don't, Brown remember that. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I guess my brother cried when that happened. Dude, listen to this. This will probably be a blast was, from your past. Uh, this is the MB, uh the NFL Today, CBS. Dun dun. You're looking live at Bush Stadium. 
where the St. Louis Cardinals will be playing the Green Bay Packers. St. Louis led by Jim Hart against Lynn Dickey and the Green Bay Packers. And you were looking live at Metropolitan Stadium where the Minnesota Vikings will take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Fran Tarkening's long in the tooth. They would do these introductions. Here's one. Oh, here's, yes. This is like Billy White Shoes Johnson got this when he was returning a punt. Ooh, he makes Doug Plank miss. Here I go. Hey, I'm Billy White Shoes Johnson. Billy White Shoes Johnson. This is them coming through the tunnel. Or it also could be like a, with the tough running of Mark Van Egan, like a six-yard run that's a, taken from an angle where he's carrying a couple guys. Ugh. Well, this. Yeah, that's Monday Night Football. Keep that on. That, that's an amazing song. Here we hear some Howard song. Miami might have the, the oranges, but Buffalo's got the juice. O.J. Simpson slashing, crashing, and dashing through the no-name defense, anchored by none other than Nick Bonacani. Your look, he would do introductions like, we're at the Orange Bowl with Don Meredith. I mean, you heard this music as like a 10-year-old, and you were fired up. You were excited when you heard this, man. <laughs> That's great. Oh, okay. then they ruined it with Hank Williams. When uh, I was yeah, a kid. It, it got too loud. That that that's like the lead up of. They should go back to that, man. That's such a good lead. You See, now excited. what's atrocious is now I got I could pull those, Absolutely. and now we got NFL films drops. It's great. So uh, again, that game. I'm halfway through the story. Okay. Yeah. 1980, 15th week of the season. Vikings have to win. To, to go to the playoffs. They got to win one of the next two games. They, they, they were at home against Cleveland, and the next week they played uh, Houston in Houston when Earl Campbell was great, and I knew they were going to lose that game. There's no way in hell they were going to win that game. There's no way. Earl Campbell used to run through the Vikings. He would Earl have Campbell, like, just a giant callus he, running he, down he the football field. He would literally field. have like 190-yard, 210-yard games against. He had a 240 or 34-yard game against the Vikings the next week, so I knew the Vikings had to win that game. And it was in Minnesota, and I got to watch it. And they're down 21 nothing. I am apoplectic. I mean, I could not. It was, well, it's the fucking fourth quarter. They're down 23 nothing. They're down 23 nothing in the fourth quarter. And, and I, was, I was just distraught. I could not handle. They scored four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And the last touchdown was a Hail Mary pass to Ahmad Rashad with five seconds left. Tommy Kramer hit him for a 50-yard pass that he caught with one hand. Leading by caught one hand and just went across the end zone line. It was this incredible play. And they came, and they also had a trick play before that of a hook and ladder, throwing it to Ted Brown. Ted Brown, oh no, no, wait. He, he threw it to Joe Sensor, who then pitched it to Ted Brown and gained like 30 more yards. So in two plays, they went, they went up, they went 90 yards in two plays. Jesus. And they threw and with the time expiring, and they won 28 oh, to 23. So <clears throat> no, no, the Vikings won the game. Oh, okay. They won the game. So I was weeping, and they came back and won, and it was like this. Literally, it was like this incredible euphoric sports experience for me that they came back and won that. When, How when old, I looked you were back, ten at this point. I was right? eleven years old because like, it was like this. Because oh, your were, parents were probably so annoyed. Were, oh my! Well, they weren't around because of the latchkey kid. But my brother was just needling. What the hell? Why are you crying? What? What's your? I mean, he was like really laying into me. Too. Was he a Chiefs fan at this point? He's a Chiefs fan. Yeah. yeah, he liked the Vikings too. But it was. Does he remember Super Bowl four? Yes, he does. Actually, he does. Loving it. He was. Well, he's five years old. You know, I mean, he has, but I mean, he was a little kid, so he didn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, he, but he, he, he cried the 71 game. The, the, the Chiefs lost. Big lost. Christian Okoye fan. 
Yeah, well, they were the Chiefs were so bad when I was growing up. They they were bad from seventy one until nineteen until they got Marty Schottenheimer. They sucked. When I was a kid, they were one of the worst teams in the NFL. Marv Levy had a few eight and eight seasons in there. They made the playoffs one time from seventy one until Schottenheimer. One time in twenty years. The Chiefs were bad until they acquired a guy by the name of Elvis Gerba <laughs> no, to play good. quarterback. It was Christian Okoye. You're actually <laughs> absolutely right. It was him. Yeah. Uh, but they, uh, but when, when they, when like uh, in 1971, they lost to the Dolphins in a famous double overtime game. That's when the baton was passed from the Chiefs being the best team in the AFC to the Dolphins being the best team because the Chiefs were a great team from 65 to 71. Dolphins took it; they won the game double overtime, and then they lost to the to the, uh, to the uh, uh, Cowboys in the Super Bowl that year. That was Tom Landry's first Super Bowl championship. But my point in saying all this was uh, that was the baton. My brother said he wept during that game. Yeah, year. he that's cried. Great. Can you put the mic in front of your mouth a little yeah, more? Well, no, I'm, I'm well, no it's falling in. out of the okay. of the thing. Okay, okay, yeah. I know it's fine, man. <laughs> well, it doesn't really, you know. This equipment, Keith, is just not good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just back here, man. Okay. But no, yeah, that that's with. Uh, but I haven't cried from a sporting event probably since then. It's probably the last. Bartman time I cried. was the last time I cried. You cried when with Bartman? Yeah, I was 13. Was that was that? Uh, no, I was I was older than that. You were older than that, man. I was 16. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I tell you one thing. I lost my temper a couple. But times do you know why I got emotional? I is because. I, so it happened because they had a game seven yeah. to play. And <clears throat> I remember Bartman doing it. And just knowing as a Cub fan, I always tell people whenever the Cubs were winning a game and like they'd bring in a reliever and the team would get a base hit. Yeah. My, the, the phrase in my family was always, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. You just knew. You just yeah, knew. Yeah, exactly. Like it was, it was, it was never. The you, wheels were, were rattling you off. You never trusted a win. Yeah. Even if they were up five, 98, yeah. the Cubs would be up five to three. They'd bring out Rod Beck, my yeah. grandpa. Holy shit. Yeah. Here we go. The shooter was, uh, inc- I like the shooter's personality. I actually like the shooter, but he, because he had balls. He had an 84 mile an hour fastball and didn't give a shit. It was histrionics and personality on the mound. You know, it kind of Swing worked, that arm. You know, but, but, uh, he was also, he, he would get touched up sometimes. So no when, doubt about it. So when that Bartman thing happened, it was just a times 100, like, here we fucking go. Yeah. Like, you almost knew, like, well, they're going to lose this game now. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember going, so I remember that happening and the Cubs <sighs> losing, and I remember being a little, like, choked up, but then I remember going inside, and my grandpa was on oxygen. He died two years after this. He yeah. goes, he looked at me, and he just goes, I'm really never going to see it. He was yeah. just like, I'm going to fucking die yeah. before the Cubs win the World Series. And yeah. that's when I remember being like, fuck, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That's fucked. Yeah, I wish I could cry. And he cheer. did. He died before the Cubs won the World Series. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. That's sad. It's true, though. <laughs> Believe me, you know I have that thought with the Vikings in a Super Bowl. I mean, I have that thought. Yeah. I mean, I've invested. You just, you're at the point. 10 years ago, you had time. Now you're at the point where you could say, I just want them to win one before yeah, I die. It's sort of like, yeah, it's because basically they're able to pull it together, uh, Keith, from my experience being a Life's fan since 1977. Yeah. They're able to pull it together once a decade where they truly have a team that's truly good. Once a decade, they've been able to do it. They did it in 87. 
uh, strike shortens, but they had a very good defense, excellent defense, and enough weapons on offense, but not good enough quarterback play. And the '98 team, the '98 team was was devastating because they were breaking records. They were oh, breaking I remember records. Not because I you know? didn't have the same feelings, and the Bears were garbage in '98, so I just yeah. had no. F- but I remember being like, "Fuck!" Yeah, yeah. Now I remember being happy because I was a side that when yeah. the Bears were bad. At the beginning of the season, I would always pick a team that, like, I'm not going to root for this yeah, team. Yeah, just kind of pay attention a little bit. This is the team yeah. that I will watch football through. Yeah. Because I can't do it through the Bears. Exactly. Exactly. It's and too I remember picking I the Falcons because in 97, the Falcons were decent. And I loved Jamal Anderson. I yep. liked his little dance. Yep. The dirty bird that he used to do. Yeah. So I remember being kind of jacked that, like, Oh, a new t- like I never the Falcons were never good in my lifetime. Yeah. So yeah. I remember being like, oh, that's kind of cool that the Falcons are yeah, good. Yeah. No, and nine there's people, you know, the Vikings lost that game and the Vikings were amazing. The Falcons were 14 and 2 that year. They were this the was, fa- yeah. I mean, and the Vikings the- were the Vikings were 12 point favorites, okay? Cuz they were record breaking, but people were drinking the Kool-Aid a bit. I mean, the Falcons were an excellent football team. They really were, you know. So it's like they played a good team, you know. Do you know when I they really my, did in my head when I knew that they were a Still real threat won. was when Still won. they beat San Francisco in the wild card game that year. Yeah, and the 49ers were like the consensus yeah. before the season in '98. It was just like, well, the Niners are going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but then the Viking because of Moss, the yeah. Viking, it was like, oh, we didn't plan on this and we didn't prepare for this. I mean, Moss was a phenomenon when he first came in the league and that's rare in football that is rare when someone comes in and is truly dominant immediately it's a handful of guys i've been lucky where it's been two adrian peterson and moss were that mahomes you know? yeah yeah it's almost immediate dominance yeah. you know play, i think like, i think mahomes played one game his rookie year yeah yeah I mean, he had like 12 snaps or something yeah, like I think that against the broncos i remember my, my brother said i mean he watched that game and he was like this guy's amazing. He knew immediately. He's like, this guy's amazing. You know, so it's it's rare when that happens. So it's like, whoa, they're going to win the whole thing. They're, they broke a record that stood for 15 years. They scored the most points in NFL history. They averaged 35 points a game. That's five touchdowns a game. That's that's incredible. Like you mm-hmm. are dominating teams, you know. And they had some big. They had the the come out that year is when they beat the pack. They beat the pack in Lambeau on Monday night. The pack hadn't lost in over three years at home. They had like a twenty six game winning streak, and the Vikings annihilated them. They were ahead of them thirty seven to ten at half. It was like so satisfying. You I hate I, them. Uh, I, I, I drove to Madison to watch it with friends of mine, and, and I was so cocky. I was so cocky. About, it was great. It was so sad because I was like, they are better than the and the Green Bay Packers were the defending. They, they won the Super Bowl two years earlier and were in it the previous year. They were the best team in the NFC, and the Vikings destroyed them. You know, so it was like this is special. You know, and it's like and, and you get, you get blinded a bit by it. Even a, a cynical sports, you can get blinded by because you're like, oh my god, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Like they're that good. Like they're, they're literally the best team in the NFL. They were going to have a tough time beating the Broncos too. The Broncos were the defending Super Bowl championship. Oh, they were going to have a tough time. Falcons. Yeah, they did. They were going to have a tough time. Beating. Well, the Falcons' defense was not that good. You know, there was- how here's here's what I want to know: How locked down were you on Cunningham as the guy? Or were were you after look, that? Did you, mean, you look or? no that during that season? Were you looking at it as? Uh, like was, a funny scene. was it were you just like oh we didn't exp- or did you expect cunningham to do well as a viking when they got him well or was mean, it kind of just like oh this is nice that we've like that this worked out i didn't even think about it 
Like I didn't even think about it because he had taken a year off and I think was literally living in Las Vegas where he's from, installing like uh, granite and stuff. Like he has a pretty successful business he mm-hmm. runs, you know, very religious guy. Didn't he get hurt in the Eagles and then took off time and came well, back? I, he retired technically. Yeah, right? he was all out for a couple of years. He also had a kid that died. Like he had fucked up shit going on in his life. And Dennis Green was very much kind of like, you know, I, I can deal with the brothers. That was yeah, part of his thing. He had Moon I, and then went from Moon to Randall. And, and, and had a lot of different other players he'd bring in. He was always like, hey, I'm going to give you was the Brad opportunity. Brad Johnson on the team in 98? See, Brad Johnson was a starting quarterback. And Brad Johnson got hurt. He got hurt in the second game of the season. And Cunningham came in and it was like, it just like blossomed into this just like, oh my God. It was because he had the perfect arm. It all was was have him run fly patterns and post patterns and just throw the ball up and in the Chris air. Carter was that good and at that Carter point. Carter was great. Carter was at the Who height of his... Who else was their wide receiving Jake court? Reed. Jake yeah, Reed. Yeah, Joliet, Jake Reed. But 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 it, it was Carter and Moss. And then they had Robert Smith as a running back. And Robert Smith was the best running back they ever had. Uh, and I like Chuck he retired Foreman. retired young. Because uh, he blew his knee for his third time. He 1,500-yard uh, season, blew his knee for his third time, retired, 29. But he did that. Uh, he was great on that team because he would occasionally get a he'd bust a fifty yard run. And so it was you, like, you think if he doesn't get hurt, he almost gets fifteen thousand yards rushing? Who, who Smith? Robert Smith? No, he 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 was his friend. He was a track guy. He wasn't. A, he he could not take the pounding. It, it just wasn't going to happen. But he was an exceptional runner. A guy, Brian McGann. I never mentioned name. Mm-hmm. He's a friend of mine in Chicago. Old comedian guy. Grew up in Cleveland. Played you know played uh, Division one football. Then played Fordham. You know played you know steeped in cleveland high school history he said robert smith was a quarterback in high school and his first game as as a varsity guy he scored six touchdowns in like ohio football as like a 14 year old like he was a legend i mean his vision and his hips you he had a great vision he had exceptional vision he ran high he'd make a cut and it was and when he would get in the open it was like you weren't catching him it was not going to happen so he was a home run hitter they had a great offense. Their line was great. It was they were just loaded. I mean, Cunningham was probably. I mean, I don't say the weak link, but he just he had all the weapons there. And he was, but he, he did. He dealt, Billick was their offensive coordinator, Brian Billick, and I guess was like very good with him and like totally knew like the reads that were going to happen. Like they communicated well and said, "Here's what's going to." And eighty percent of the time, Billick was right. So he was meant one of the re- Billick got hired by the Ravens the next year. I remember when they hired Billick. I was just like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" That was when. I feel like there's an age where you start knowing who the fucking assistant coaches yeah, are. Exactly. That's your that's your like graduation into like now you're a sports fan. Yeah. Like when you know coaching trees and shit like that. Like when I was a kid, I was yeah. just like I didn't know who the fuck Brian Billick was or that. Oh like, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the tree is fundamental. Or even Holmgren. I just thought that this was like some random dude that they hired. Like I didn't know that he came from this prestigious coaching tree yeah. or college or that's anything. also part of the fucking lore of nfl the oh a disciple of bill parcells and tom Landry. well holmgrim is a disciple holmgrim of, is a uh, uh, is, is a disciple of of uh, bill walsh yeah. who's, a, who's a disciple of paul brown oh yes it's all interrelated and don disciples. shula is a disciple of fucking i think shula was his own thing man. his own thing you know i honestly i mean he was he was a coach he was a head coach at 34 He's a Baltimore Colts, for the Colts head coach, right? Yeah, absolutely. He played for the Browns. In so the was 50s. Don Shula the head coach? <clears throat> he played in Super for Paul Bowl. Brown. He's a Paul Brown guy. Was Don Shula the head coach in Super Bowl three for the Colts? Yes. You see, his thing was he was a ch- he choked in big games. You know, he he, co- he coached in six Super Bowls and won two. He lost in four of them. And, and early in his career, that I and mean, that was as much as like wow, well, uh, you know, that was a statement not about Namath, was also about Don Shula chokes in the big game. So him winning Super Bowl that uh, seven, the undefeated team was like 
like it, the monkey was off of his back yeah. you know you know so because he was deemed, he, he was very much deemed like this excellent the disciplinarian and like multitasker and just like s- just a very smart head coach like, dude if knew- johnny unitas is healthy in super bowl three they fucking roll the jets yeah they probably do they do. Unitas was Unitas was just beat up. I love I love the NFL films of Super Bowl three. It's one of my favorite ones. It's awesome. I was it's just so good. I was just thinking of how the times are altering because now you're going to hear kids looking at Johnny Unitas going, "Oh, he was the Patrick Mahomes of his time." Yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah. We're yeah. like there are certain people who be like, "No, Mahomes is the Johnny Unitas of his generation." Yeah, I, I have because Johnny Unitas elevated quarterback play. Oh yeah, to like, absolutely. Where it was just fucking a frame offense, and then yeah. now. It, like Unitas was the first one to open it up like multiple oh, yeah. times a drive, he, he not, Ra- not just a game, a drive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Raymond Barry. Raymond Barry was his big receiver who coached the uh, Patriots yep. in Super Bowl 20. Mm-hmm. And I guess he was an excellent route runner. And again, you know, they, the, the 58 championship game is the greatest deemed, game ever played. Yeah, deemed an important game because of television. Uh, but also first be- uh, <clears throat> sports game in color too, right? I, I, I don't know if it was the first uh, football game in color. Might have been. I don't know. Uh, but the Colts and Giants, you know, big media market, you know, Giants being part of it was and Baltimore. huge. And, and that was also, an, it was an overtime game, which was like a unique thing to like, oh, this is a unique wrinkle on it. And yeah, it was know? sudden death. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, the, Alan, the horse Amici, one of the two Wisconsin guys to win the Heisman Trophy, uh, scored the winning touchdown for the Colts on that from Kenosha, Wisconsin. My, oh. I, I, I had an uncle through marriage who was an Italian guy in uh, in Madison. His parents ran a shoe repair business. That was their, their cobblers. And they knew Alan the Horse Amici because they were Italians. And they, were, and they got the uh, Heisman Trophy, and they were in Madison. They got the Heisman Trophy in their front window for like three months. Helped like drum business up for them. <laughs> That's great. You're in like 1954, 55, you know. He won the Heisman Trophy, Alan the Horse, and then he scored that touchdown in the, in the 58 championship game. You yeah. Know? Again, television was the big thing for that. It was televised. Has there been any Viking news since after the draft? I know the Bears signed a ton of like non-drafted free agents to yeah, sift through. There's no. I mean, also today they officially, and it doesn't mean anything. Even the article that was talking about it, they officially dec- declined the fifth option, the fifth year option on Trubisky. Uh, but th- it was mainly because of injury, because they don't want to. They don't want to be beholden to the 23 million, and then he blows his shoulder out again. Uh, and because they could, because if he does well, they could franchise tag him, uh, which I think they'd have to pay more if they franchised it, it, him. It's also a move, basically turning the screws. Like you got to produce yeah. this year, bud. They could franchise you know? tag him. Uh, also, they could just let him become a free agent, and it, he becomes what he's worth yeah. at that point. And yeah. I think that's their goal. Also, is like. We want to keep you, but we're not re-signing you for twenty-three million dollars. Yeah, yeah, like is we're it, gonna we're gonna let you become a free agent, and we'll give you a fifteen million dollar contract or something like that. Or or just say, okay, it's got to come together this season, Mitch, and you have a great season. Give us a reason to give you a long-term contract for four or five years. Yeah, have a great year. You know what I mean? And then we, and we'll give you a twenty million or twenty-one versus I don't know. I don't, it was it, twenty-three it, if they picked up yeah, the fifth yeah. the fifth year, but if they franchise them, it's going to be twenty-six million. Wow. God, it's gotten that high. That's pretty. I, mean, I hate to be an old man, but that's a lot yeah. of money. When you're getting into the tens of millions of dollars a year, you're making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, a million bucks a year is a lot of money. You know, still. You know, but they were talking about how they don't want to use the franchise tag because they need may need to franchise Allen Robinson or something, who so far has been a more valuable piece on uh, offense uh, than Trubisky. Uh, Allen Robinson's a good football player. He's a, he's a good receiver. He and got, he he always has a couple of big receptions a, against the Vikings. They did a great always. breakdown of. 
the last fifth year option they signed was Leonard Floyd. And they just released Leonard Floyd this year. So they were on the hook for that. And they went through a list of the history of fifth year options for the Bears. And it's all like Dusty Dvorak, fucking Mushin Muhammad. It's all players where you're just like, yeah, that was a horrible choice to do that. So I think they're looking back at that being like, we don't really have a good history with doing these fifth year options. I know. I know. Fuck. Yeah. they, They tell you what, they've had some. Some of their drafts and some of their decisions. Dude, them getting Robert just, Quinn in the offseason, though, was huge. I think. I mean, yeah, I, I hope he's decent. I always I, you know, decent enough player. I think know? their defense is going to be back to what it was in 2018, or at least a step in that direction. Mm-hmm. You know, because like uh, Floyd was a, a bust. Floyd was a bust, and he he's was sort too of, small. Yeah, he was too thin. He was framed. like he looked like a wide receiver on yeah, the edge. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> they they thought maybe his speed could develop. On well, that, they don't need you know? him now because they got fucking who's the kid from Georgia. Uh, uh, Roquan Smith. Oh yeah, that's yeah. their guy, dude. Yeah. Roquan Smith is the shit. Yeah, uh, with a name like Roquan Smith and playing in the Southeast Conference, you're gonna get yourself a good fucking player. That's gonna be a player. You're gonna have yeah. someone who's a he and Mac. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, their defense. If they play this year, if they play this year, they will. They'll do behind closed doors. I've been saying it, and th- these sports leagues are not gonna lose the revenue. They're gonna sports is gonna start whether they should or not. Well, they're going to have to because of the bread and circus. That that's the thing people miss the most in the country. I think they can't get the live sports and the. Oh yeah, you know, I'm tired I mean, of watching classic games. You know, I, I have been watching them. They've oh, dude, fun. on YouTube they're playing live. If you go to the MLB channel right now, they're playing live games, like where you can't. It's like they're broadcasting it live on their YouTube channel. <laughs> I watched the ninety game seven of the ninety seven series. Oh, of the uh, Indians and Marlins. The, and Marlins. They played the Griffey walk off. In 95 against the Yankees. I didn't know Tino Martinez was on the Mariners. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just always remember him on the Yankees. Oh, yeah. No, those Mariner teams were decent. Wasn't Paul O'Neill on the Reds team in 1990? Yes, that beat the A's. Uh, they, had, they had him, Eric Davis, Chris Sabo was a pretty good player. Hal Morris was a pretty good player. Barry Larkin, University of Michigan uh, Barry baseball Larkin was team. a rookie, wasn't he? No, 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 no. He was not a rookie. Uh, the University of Michigan. Chris Sabo played for Michigan. Barry Larkin played for Michigan. Hal Morris played for Michigan. So three University of Michigan guys were on that You know team. what I didn't realize? I didn't realize in college baseball, the season is like 30 games. Oh, yeah. It's it's a little longer than that. I but think. it's, it's like, it's so short. It's like 60 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. They And like a lot of the northern teams will go to, the, go to Arizona in March and go to Florida and play down there for a couple weeks because you can't play. You cannot play baseball in the upper Midwest until – Really till May, mm-hmm. you know, and do in April. You're asking for it, you know. It's just, oh yeah, it's freezing cold, you know, and, you and it's just so erratic. You get rain, you get snow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so players blowing their knees out. Yep. That '97 game. It's funny you mentioned that Game Seven. I got a story about that. It's old crow stories. My a f- comedian friend of mine, Henry Scott, lifelong Indian fan, comedian, helped run the Elevated. Lived uh, in that part of uh, of Lincoln Park with his girlfriend at the time. And uh, for those who don't know, the elevated was a comedy show in Chicago. Comedy show in Chicago, big big show at the time. <laughs> Crocious did it. it yeah, I used to get booked there a lot. I headlined it a lot. It was, uh, it was the hip room of, of my era. Just to let you Chicago know. headliner, which means he just went last. If you if you uh, if you made it into the elevator, that was like a, a rite of passage. You're ready to move as a young. It's like comic. CYSK. You do yeah, you do it. Yeah, you do this show multiple times. You're ready. You're at, you've you're getting there. You've achieved. You, you're something. ready to move on. So, uh, so, uh, Henry Scott, 
that summer, summer of 97, Craig Council, who played for the uh, Diamondbacks, actually, yeah. and went to Notre Dame. The roommate of, of, uh, of Henry Scott was a guy who went to Notre Dame. And they had a third extra bedroom. And Craig Council has blown his knee that year. And, and there's a specialist in Chicago that he went to do, do his knee rehab. Do his, and rehab. And he knew this guy from Notre Dame. So yeah. Craig Council was Henry Scott's roommate for six weeks the summer of 1997 when he played for the Diamondbacks. He gets traded to the Marlins. And Henry, lifelong diehard Indian fan. Diehard. Diehard fan. Hardcore fan of, of Indians baseball. Uh, watches Craig Council get the single well, for the Marlins. And he lived Renter, with the guy. He lived with the guy. Renteria that's like two months early. He lived with him. Yeah, that's why. You know? Renteria got the hit. Council scored the run. Oh, yeah. Council scored the run. Sorry. Yeah, Council scored the run. Exactly. But he lived with the guy. Council you know? also was in the final play of the Diamondbacks win against yep. the Yankees in 2001. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it's like a... You know who was also on that Diamondback team? Mark Grace. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Was Mark on Grace that team. Absolutely was. Finally got a ring. Yep. The Cubs winning a World Series was so far away in my eyes at that point. Oh, yeah. That's also why 03 hurt bad, too, because 2003, the Cubs were not supposed to be good, let alone yeah. run, let alone win the division with two weeks left in the season. Uh, it, it's Dust because, the Bra- it was a five-game series, but they fucked the Braves up in the NLDS. Like, they were not losing that. That was also Dusty Baker being an old-school rockhead. Like, we're going to pitch Wood and Pryor every fourth. I mean, those guys, he blew their arms out. He had out. Mike Remlinger, a pitcher with ready to go in the bullpen. All he had to do was take Pryor out. I, I, it's all, but he pitched Pryor. He ruined Pryor's career. Pryor Jim was Ruggleman incredible. Jim Kerry Wood's career. You know, they, they overpitched him. You know, and it's like especially early in the season. Uh, that, that's why the, the the Nationals have been very smart in the way they've handled oh, their pitch counts they have yeah, on everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with Strasburg too. It's like they also realize he's a thin framed guy. You know, when he's in his late twenties and he's been going through the weight program for ten years and he's gained a lot of weight, you, you can start letting him really let it fly. You know, because he'll he'll be able to deal with it physically. You know, yeah, it's hard to do that that torque on your body. You know. That torque, baby. Oh, this is when this he is stabs a, himself in the leg. This and is shit. a hilarious scene. Where she's like, "Yeah, you got to pull the plug." <laughs> she just reveals what a gold digger she is. It's hilarious. Oh, they all, and even him. Like when he wakes up, they think he thinks he's paralyzed, and he's not. This and he stabs a, himself in the leg. Yeah. This scene was like, "I pose in Playgirl magazine. Got to let you know. Spread my butt cheeks, dude. To spread. I mean, spread. Playgirl. Yeah. <laughs> he is great, dude. He's so fucking dude, funny. Dude, John C. Riley is so fucking I've, funny. I've always so said, of, I've always said, very seriously. Yeah, John C. Riley has been in every movie ever made. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's one of those guys that works. You know, he's just like if you, I guarantee you, every movie you've ever seen, John C. Riley's been in ten of them. Oh yeah. He's if been, you just yeah. go back and yeah. look at the cast, and you're like, oh shit, he was in that. He was in a, my buddy Jason Fever, who I had uh, lunch with yesterday. Guy my age worked with John C. Riley in Chicago. Great guy at, 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 a, at a at a grocery store, and he said that he quit the job because he got cast in Casualties of War, which was the first John C. Riley movie in 1989, 30 fucking years ago. Nice. That's why he left. Casualties of War was Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox was still being like pushed as like like he, he was still off that fucking you know back or back to the future like thing buzz. Like Michael J. Fox was still big five years later. Like he was a leading man, you know. Yeah. But he, he he couldn't. He made the leap from TV for a while. I think it was a bit of a you know a streak of luck there. But then he kind of he had to go back to TV. He had to go back to Spin City. That's what he had to do. 
you know. Spin fucking city. He, he had to do that. He had to what go a back. Great show. He Heather Locklear was on Spin City. Absolutely. That show was a like of that was a famous show for kind of like it falling apart, and they kind of rebooted totally. Michael J. Fox left. Yeah. Well, so he, they he get had the Parkinson's Sheenan, man, and then they get Locklear to be Sheen's fucking. It kind of was just like where all the stars washed up onto the shores. Yep. It was the China Beach of fucking. <laughs> it happened. Wasn't China Beach about the Vietnam or the Korean uh, War? Like the Vietnam War, absolutely. That, that was like a drama, like late late eighties CBS drama, China Beach. I remember that was one of those. Remember when shows were getting put out on DVD? Oh yeah. Like I saw an infomercial about like you guys have been asking for it, and we finally delivered. <laughs> China Beach. All four seasons or whatever the fuck, and I just remember like no one wants to see China Beach. Like who was the who are the people clamoring for China Beach? That, that was like a second half baby boomer drama. Like you were in your late thirties and you're watching China Beach and you had been. Who born were the in- stars of that? Wasn't like Matt Dillon on China no, Beach and no, shit? It wasn't. Um, there was a woman Delaney who Delaney, Kim Delaney who who was uh, the uh, love interest in Tombstone. <laughs> She was like a liberated woman. I'm a woman. I like men. I know it's not ladylike. She was like a feminist Western. Dana Delaney. Oh, Marg Hilgenberger from fucking CSI was in that. Uh, Robert Picardo. There are certain people, they do television, and then they, hey, good for them. China yeah. Beach. Hey, we could be also lo- we be lucky to write a show that gets... Oh, yeah. The length. China Boy. William Broyles Jr. I think that guy made Dawson's Creek. How long did uh, China Beach last? How long was it on from? 88 to 91. Yeah. Those were college years for me. I never watched it. Yeah. I never. I I was out fucking around. There you go. Anyway, we're at about a buck 40. You want to tail it out? You want to land this plane? Yeah, we probably should. Yeah. Yeah, Let's do it. But it's been good, man. It's been a good one. We've been talking. This was a good one. There was some energy in it. Some topics. It was a good one. We watched some major league. Do you know why it was a good one? why that's why here so we'll we'll run it out with this song here we'll do the the hello larry hello larry Larry. (laughs) what an obscure 